Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only color fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Master Builders Victoria, supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet? Call today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell, who's still enjoying his time with his family over in Japan. Big show uh, coming up today. Get on the Werribee Kia open line, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. So big show, as we mentioned. Plenty of guests coming your way. Jeff Lemon to talk some uh, World Cup cricket. He was the man behind the mic when the Netherlands caused one of the great boilovers of all time and continued... South Africa's misery in big matches in big tournaments. So we'll speak to Jeff uh, a little bit later in this first hour. Really intriguing first week of AFLW finals. A couple of really close uh, elimination finals. Uh, Probably a couple of expected results uh, in the qualifying finals, but uh, two really interesting games as well. So we'll speak to Jess Webster, AFLW commentator, about everything that went on in the AFLW finals. Brett Phillips to talk some tennis. Really interesting story with Novak Djokovic over the weekend with... uh, Interesting little uh, drink bottle came out on the court and uh, a lot of people asking what exactly was going on and what was in that uh, drink bottle uh, at the Paris Masters. So we'll speak to BP about that and everything that's going on in the world of tennis. And National Draft is now only 21 days away. So just thought of a bit of a different way to go back and look at some old drafts. You know, at times people, they re-rank drafts or on the run home a couple of years ago, we just, you know, 21 days to go today. So we'd go through the book and find out someone that was interesting that picked Selected at pick 21. But what we're going to do uh, this week is, so 21 years ago was the 2001 Super Draft. Obviously, tomorrow we'll go back 20 years to 2002. So 2001, what a draft that was. The first three names roll off the tongue. Luke Hodge, Luke Luke Ball and Chris Judd. And we know the other great players in that draft. Gary Ablett and Dane Swan and James Kelly and Jimmy Bartel and Steve Johnson, Nick Del Santo. Brian Lake, there's a host of superstars in that draft. And a couple of those were picked up really late. Uh, Brian Lake, for example, uh, was a late pick. Dane Swan was picked 58 famously. But there was a man that came in uh, at pick 60, Adam Schneider, who had an amazing career for the Swans, for the Saints, 23 finals, five grand finals he played. in just the one flag, and that was his first grand final. Uh, in 2005, he's been involved with the Giants. He's now by, uh, coaching and even played a game. Uh, this year up at Lavington, uh, back where he grew up uh, in uh, Albury, Wodonga. So we'll speak to Adam Schneider about just his memories about being drafted and and look back over his, his career. But as we mentioned uh, with Jared, the topic we want to kick off with today, and give us a call on anything, the cricket, the fallout from the cricket, and where did it go wrong? What do Australia need to do now? But we spoke to Mark Beretta on Friday on uh, SEN Mornings. He's released a book. It's the top 20 sporting moments, uh, Australian sporting moments since 2000. So it got me thinking... How can we tie this uh, into footy? So throughout the week, we're going to take your nominations on the temper text or give us a call of the top 22 moments 
given it's 2022, in footy since 2000. So we're not looking for, you know, Richmond won their, you know, broke their premiership drought or Hawthorne won three in a row or, you know, the Essendon supplement scandal or Wayne Carey was sacked by North Melbourne. None of that sort of stuff. It's actually moments mainly on the field, but it could be something uh, off the field. And we'll try and just collate them and uh, sort of rank maybe our top 10 uh, by Thursday. So I'll just give you a couple of examples of what I'm thinking about. Uh, and then we'll hit the phone. Uh, Maddie on the road uh, is ready to go. So let's go back to this moment with Chris Judd in 2003. Picking up brilliantly, Judd. How's that? Goes with the outside of the boot. He can't work it back left to right far enough. Or can he? I reckon he has. He has. Oh, what a goal. The, this, it is just pure pace that's killing them. Guess who? Could do it again. Judd. Could he? Could he do it again? Five and a half, I think so. I think oh. so. This kid is just... What do we say? He is exceptional. Thank you, Dermot. Uh, that was... A... So why was that such a big moment? Because we know Chris Judd had so many great games of footy, but this was Chris Judd's 34th game. This was in the middle of 2003 against the Brisbane Lions at the Gabba. They never lost to the Gabba back then. Star-studded midfield. We all know the names. Voss, Black, Ackermanis, Power. The Scott uh, twins were in there as well. He's kicked five goals in the first half. And it, it was we could all see that this kid was going to be a good player. He was great in his first year in 2002. Things were building in 2003. But that was the moment, that half of footy. You can hear Dermot there. He was just, he had nothing to say, how good that performance was. So it was just that moment where you thought, wow, we are watching a superstar in the making. And as it turned out, that was right. He won the Brownlow 12 months later. He won another Brownlow. And we all know what Chris Judd did. So they're the sort of things... Uh, we're looking for just another one. So 2010 grand final, it was a draw. Amazing. Now there's plenty of moments in, in grand finals that come up, but for me, this was, this was the moment in the 2010 grand final, whether it's the replay or the original, that uh, is the big moment from my point of view. Got out the target. O'Brien. Here we go. One Hayes. Hayes belting the ball forward. Johnson quickly off the mark. Milner at best. Ball bouncing. Oh. Scores a level. Oh, no. What are you doing next week? Gee, Do you take the ball there, Stephen Milne? I think he was going to try and take it. It just bounced out of his reach. Okay, so there's plenty of moments from those two games. You could say Goddard's mark five minutes earlier, one of the great grand final marks. He puts the Saints in front. Plenty of nominations coming through uh, off the temper text, 0433981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 winks, serious about sleep, about Heath Shaw's smother in the replay in the first quarter on Nick Reebok. Perfect. That's the sort of stuff we're looking for. But for me, it's the Stephen Milne moment. Now, people are saying, well, he should have attacked the ball that's coming off the temper text. But that that moment, if that ball bounces up for Stephen Milne and he goes in and kicks a goal with a minute and a half to go, let, look, Collingwood had time to get back and tie the game or get back in front because it would have put St Kilda five points up. But it, it did change history, really. The Saints, they're still looking for that flag. It ended up being a draw. They were flogged the next week. Ross Lyon was gone 12 months later. I mean, it changes the history of Ross Lyon. It changes the history of... Of the Saints, what would it have done for Collingwood if they didn't win that grand final? Mick Malthouse, the handover had been announced. He only had one year to go. They hadn't won one since 1990. So 2010, they were the best side. They were four goals up at half time, And if that ball bounces up for Stephen Mill, they probably get pipped. So who knows what happens to Collingwood in 2011 and beyond. So they're the sort of things uh, we're looking for. Calls at Banking Up, which is fantastic, on the Werribee Kia uh, open line. Let's get to Matt on the road to give us our first nomination. G'day, Matty. 
There you go, Jules. How you doing? I'm well, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, I've got a good one and a bad one. Um, it's a Collingwood supporter, and you bloody pinched my good one with the the um, smother of the century with him sneaking up like a librarian. Yeah, yeah. That was my good one. And my other one, and, and sorry to all the other Collingwood supporters that are listening, <laughs> but I, and I hate mentioning this name, but that Dom, <laughs> I, nearly sw- I nearly swore then, Dom Sheed, I still can't. That still makes me cringe every time I hear his name. Have you, have you, have you also sent a temper text in on that mat? Because there is a mat that's got an interesting take on that. Is that yours? No, I didn't actually. No, I didn't, no. So he doesn't call it the Dom Sheed. This mat, 2018 Grand Final, Braden Maynard block. So that's how he's looking at it. Is, yeah. that, how, is that how you look at it? Oh God! Don't get me started, Jules. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, very good, Matt. Uh, um, not, yeah, not not a great moment, that one. And uh, amazing season for Collingwood. And it just went wrong in the last uh, minute and a half. Hey, thanks, Matt. Uh, thank you so much for getting us uh, underway uh, today. And, uh, yeah, was, I think Dom Sheed's going to make the top 20. To kick a winning goal in a grand final uh, from the boundary line is going to be very, very difficult uh, to top. So thanks for your call, Matt. Let's get to Jason in Bendigo. G'day, Jace. Hi, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm spot on for a Monday. Hey, look, I reckon Surioli's contest on the wing, 2008 Grand Final, just switched momentum a little bit. It got certainly got Bruce excited. It got me excited, and I, I just love watching everything that bloke did. Nice. That's the sort of stuff we're looking for. And there's another example in 2008. I won't Delicious. Give, I won't take you, Rod. Rod obviously knows Jason and asked him to do that. Uh, there's another moment in 2008 that might get a mention, but that, that's perfect. That's the sort of stuff we're looking for. So a moment in that game it was a crucial time, three on one, as you mentioned there, uh, Jason, and uh, it was beautifully done from Sirioli in his first year, actually. What a first year. Uh, he did had uh, for your troubles, a mystery craft beer bundle coming your way. Jason, let's get to Andrew in Nidri. G'day, Andrew. Well, it's no surprise, uh, uh, Julian, and you'll be aware that mm-hmm. the 1999 Premier League final when Dean Wallace was 20 metres by himself in the middle, getting clobbered by Francis uh, Francis Brown's tackle, uh, Fraser Brown's yep, tackle. Fraser Brown, and yep. Cost the, and cost us the premiership that year. Mm-hmm. Um, although Kuda Pedy's probably what, it was the best game I've seen an individual play in a final. But... Um, Yes, that tackle, uh, it still it still haunts me um, to this day because um, it was a fantastic tackle. But Dean Wallace forgot. I don't think he I don't think he slept a good night's sleep from that night onwards. I think. No, thankfully for uh, all Essendon supporters and Dean Wallace, he made up it for the next year. Interesting. I mean, if Essendon win ninety nine. It's hard to see that it would have been that dominant in two thousand. There's no reason they couldn't have won the flag in two thousand, but. Given what happened in 99, it, it fueled them uh, for the season after. But, yeah, it still feels like a premiership that got away uh, for most Essendon supporters. Thank you to Andrew. Minor technicality with Andrew. That was 99. We're looking at moments post-2000, but he certainly got the got the idea. Just got was out by a year. Let's get to Greg in Moorabark. G'day, Greg. Hey, g'day, mate. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Oh, yeah, still fat and ugly, but uh, <laughs> I'm still doing it. Mate, um... You I said it, not me. I'm allowed to say that because I, I, I am fat and ugly, so I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> hey, um, I, I'm not sure of the year, mate, but um, when Gary Moorcroft, uh, he got higher than Joe Cocker. Yeah, 2001. Yep. Johnson, yeah, 
just, I don't think memories come any bigger and better than that, mate, to be honest. Like it. Yeah, we can have marks. Certainly marks or goals or as the uh, previous uh, call, a couple of calls ago said, uh, Jason and Benigo said the Surioli moment on the wing. So they're the sort of things we're looking for. So uh, very good uh, nomination. If I had to choose one mark as a moment from that, it, it's Nick Revolts at the SCG. I mean, we've seen courageous marks before and Wayne Carey used to go back all the time in the pack and Jonathan Brown took that amazing mark against Hawthorne. But just watching that at the time, I've never seen a player fly through the air and run that hard going back with the footy with no regard at all for his personal safety. So that that one for me stands out if we're going to pick a uh, a mark uh, since 2000 to be a, a standout moment uh, in the top 20. Let's get to Pete in Northbourne. G'day, Pete. G'day, Jules. Uh, 2013, the, the Tigers uh, went nine in a row to sneak into the finals and trouble over to Port Adelaide. <laughs> Our faithful captain decides to kick into the wind for some ungodforsaken reason. Yeah, 2014 that was. Yeah, you're right, Pete. Uh, interesting, yeah. Well, maybe a, a, a coin toss gone wrong can be a moment. Uh, that was very strange, wasn't it? I remember the commentators at the time were surprised that he'd kick into the breeze. And as we all know what happened, Pete, it was uh, all over at quarter time as Port Adelaide used the breeze to the, the uh, maximum they could. Uh, thanks for your call. Uh, 18 holes of golf for two with a cart at Club Mandalay coming your way. 99 bucks midweek uh, at Club Mandalay. A sensational course uh, out there. Uh, just a few coming in off the temper text. A heat coming in off the temper text, actually. I like this one because Richmond obviously breaking through uh, for their, their premiership is massive. 37 years. They went on to win three out of four. But I, I agree with this temper text. So the moment is... Dustin Martin winning a third Norm Smith medal. Yeah, he won the Norm Smith in 17 and 19. It was fantastic. But you could argue in those games, you know, a lot of people say Basha Hooley might have been better in 2017. 2019, Richmond was so dominant. They had so many good players. But they do not win in 2020 without Dustin Martin. An amazing second half. So he gets them over the line and wins a third Norm Smith medal, which no one has done in the history of the sport and just cemented his absolute greatness. So if, for me, if you're picking a moment from Richmond's three premierships, that is the moment. Dustin Martin, three Norm Smith medals, and well, not single-handedly, but close to single-handedly dragging his team uh, across the line. Let's get our first breakaway. Matt and John, uh, hang on. We'll get to you after the break. We're talking the greatest AFL moments since 2000. Plenty more coming up on the show, uh, including around about 10, 12.40. We'll switch our attention to cricket and we'll speak to Jeff Lemon. An amazing weekend of cricket culminating in that upset between the Netherlands and South Africa. You're listening to Afternoons on SEN. Thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Of course, drink responsibly. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. A host of nominations coming through off the temper text. Uh, keep sending them through 0433981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. We're talking about the best, or the, we're going to collate the 22 greatest moments in footy since 2000. So if you're just joining us, it's not Richmond winning a flag or, you know, big stories or specific games. It's moments. And we've got a heap coming through uh, off the temper text. I'll read some of them shortly, but I don't want to steal John or Matt's thunder. Let's get out to the beautiful part of the world, Berwick, where John joins us. G'day, John. 
Hi, how are you? I'm good, um, This is one bit off the field. Um, Stevie Johnson in 2007, when he got suspended for, from the club for about six weeks, and that year he won the Norm Smith medal and the premiership. That's an interesting call, John, because I was thinking about Geelong's run and to win the three flags in five years. What was the moment? You know, a lot of people say it was, you know, losing to North Melbourne and, you know, Paul Chapman leading the way uh, with some really, you know, tough words. You're right, Steve Johnson, that was a strong stand by the club. He missed the first six rounds. I think he came back, didn't he, for that game against Richmond, which which got it all underway when they thumped the Tigers uh, at the Telstra Dome, it would have been back then. Or, or I think the moment for me is Gary Ablett's ceiling goal in the prelim in 2007. I mean, they weren't good that night. Collingwood were fantastic. It was looking like it would be a great upset. And then under pressure, Gary Ablett kicked the goal that uh, ultimately uh, got the Cats over the line. So I think that's the moment, but that's a really uh, interesting one uh, you have suggested. Uh, John, for your troubles, a Signet Boost power bank uh, coming your way. Keeps your phone charged. 24 hours a day. 24 Rod. hours a day. Thank you, Rod. Very, very sharp. Let's get to uh, Matt in Shepparton. G'day, Matt. Hi, g'day, Jules. How you going? I'm well, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. I might uh, actually have that moment uh, that led to Geelong's dynasty. I've got a couple of Geelong moments. Yeah, good. First one, being a bad one, Nick Bloody Davis. I reckon that <laughs> might have sparked Geelong's era. Yeah, I think Just... Nick Davis might make the top 20. I think he might make the top 20, unfortunately, for your sake there, Matty. Most frustrating moment I've ever witnessed uh, watching a game of football. And uh, the good, extreme good, was the uh, Scarlet Toe Poke in 2009. It's coming through strongly, the Scarlet Toe Poke. It's one of the, the more famous uh, moments uh, in grand finals, isn't it? What, what, what are your memories of, of that? That was such an amazing game, that St Kilda Geelong game. All game, you just didn't know which way uh, it was going to go. What, do, what are your memories of that at the time, Matt? Were you at the ground watching on television? I was at the Sunshine Coast at a friend's place having a, a bit a nice leisurely day. Pretty sunny, you know, looking at the weather, it was freezing cold. Yeah, it was freezing that day. Incredible, incredible pressure, intense game. And Geelong and St Kilda had a few of those games during the year, so it was a great culmination. Um, bit of a soft spot for St Kilda. I was, I was disappointed they couldn't get the job done, but obviously, yeah, over the moon with, with our victory and just such a, probably the toughest grand final I can remember, I think. It was a tough grand final. And, uh, you still in Shepparton, Matt? Is everything settled down up there okay? Yeah, yeah. There's still some big lakes and puddles and footy grounds underwater and things like that. It is drying out. Um, the biggest issue at the moment is a mosquito infestation around the golf course, so that's a bit of a challenge for us. No, that's not ideal. Uh, thanks so much uh, for your call, Matt. Uh, interesting because you, you mentioned St Kilda and Geelong there, and I I don't think I've seen a better game, and I've heard a lot of people say this. The 2009 home and away game between these two teams, when they were both undefeated, I think it was round 13 or 14 from memory. Unbelievable game of footy, and uh, the moment is beautifully summed up here. Uh, Michael Gardner's mark versus Geelong in that sold-out game in 2009. I don't think footy's ever been better uh, than it was on that day. Let's get to Anthony in Bentley. Get Anthony. Hey, mate. How are you going? I'm well. How are you? Going well. Uh, it's got to be Heath Shaw in the 2010 uh, replay with the smother on Rewalt. Uh, it's going it's to be hard to keep out of the top 20, that one, isn't it? It was such a, yes, good call there by uh, Dennis Kamir. It's such an iconic moment. And look, Collingwood were probably going to win that day anyway, but you just felt after that that um, it wasn't going to be the Saints' day. Are you a Collingwood man? 
I am indeed. Very good. Very good. Thanks for your call. Uh, Anthony, $100 Ballers Clubhouse voucher uh, coming your way. Oh, it's been a Christmas party there this year. Very, very good venue. Get your mates uh, down there. It's a fantastic uh, venue. Let's get to Andrew. Speaking of nice parts of the world, out in Yarra Glen. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Jules. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Very good. Uh, just got four words for you. Leo Barry, you start. Yes. I was waiting for the nomination. Uh, Andrew has to be. Has to be in the top yeah. 20. If you think of it, that was just a, a bit like the Bulldogs in 2016. I think if you if you didn't follow the team they were playing, uh, so West Coast that day, I think everyone was on the Swans and that, yeah, that's one of the great moments of all time, let alone uh, in the last century. So, yeah, I think that one's going to comfortably uh, make the top 20. Thanks for your call, Andrew. $100 Garmy chicken voucher uh, coming your way. Just read a couple off the temper text uh, before we get uh, to the newsroom. So there's a heap uh, coming through. I think this, I think Lincoln, our producers, just got on the text machine here because he said he's big Freo man, of course. Stephen Hill goal versus Geelong, 2013 qualifying final down at uh, Cadinia Park. Now, will that game be remembered for that or Ross Lyon and Shane McGuinness afterwards? I'm not sure. I think it's on a par. You're quite brilliant, Shane. Thank you very much, Rod. Uh, 2013 preliminary. Oh, now A-Rod's jumping on the decks. Jesus Christ. Uh, Sean Burgoyne's goal in the last few minutes against Geelong to end the curse and put the Hawks on the way to three in a row. That's an interesting point because... That's Silk. S-I-L-K. <laughs> what happens to Hawthorne if they don't win that game? So they won in 08, buggered it up in 09, first round 2010... Heartbreaking prelim in 11. Lost the grand final in 12. Do they get up again if they didn't beat Geelong in that final? 20 points down in that last quarter. And Sean Burgoyne turned it on. So it is a critical moment in Hawthorne's dynasty. Arguably the most uh, clinic, uh, critical moment in that uh, dynasty of three in a row. Uh, the moment, this is going to be tough to top. This will be right up there, I think. The moment was Buddy's 1,000th goal this year and the celebration afterward. Players walking along the footpath outside the ground. What a night. Uh, Lewis Jett has run down the wing with Cyril Rioli in tow in the 2012 grand final. Now, Bulldogs, this is interesting. So one here, Darren and Kingsliff, Luke Beveridge giving his medal to Bob Murphy. That is a, an amazing moment. But is that the moment? Or is it the passage of Dale Morris running down Buddy Franklin and Tom Boyd banging it from outside 50? Brian Taylor chucked in a spleetive or two at the time. Uh, in the call, he was that excited. So th- that's an interesting one. And this is... Brisbane's dynasty is a tough one to, to nail a moment as well, but I think Mick might have nailed it here. So it wasn't in the grand finals. It wasn't even in the finals, but it was in 2001 after round nine. I think the Lions were four and five. They're coming up against Essendon, who'd lost one game for the year, coming off the flag, red hot, absolute red hot premiership fancies. And Lee Matthews utters the famous line from Predator, if it bleeds, we can kill it. The Lions beat the Bombers at the Gabba. Do not lose for the rest of the season and knock the Bombers off in the grand final. So it's hard not to argue that was the most significant moment in Brisbane's uh, three-peat. Time for a few more calls uh, after the news on this one. We'll do this at the start of the show every day, unless there's a big breaking story uh, at the time uh, through till Thursday, and we'll try and collate our list uh, by the end of the show on Thursday. But let's get the latest now from the newsroom. Roddy's on today. He's up and about. His gunners are on top of the English Premier League table. We all know it's not going to last. He thinks it's going to, but uh, he's up and about. He's even getting some love off the temper text, is A-Rod? Unbelievable stuff. Uh, 
Oh, I've just lost it now, eh, Rod? Anyway, someone pumping up your uh, passion and your work on the buttons. Let's have a look at that number. Let's just have a look at that number. Same last three digits as yours. That's interesting. Um, now, plenty Please more. Please clap. <laughs> plenty, plenty more coming off the temp. There's a heap of moments. Uh, some that I might have even uh, forgotten about, to be honest. We mentioned Buddy's 1,000th. What about his 100th goal against Carlton? It is significant because we might never see it again uh, in 2008. James Hurd hugging the Essendon supporter in the crowd in 2004. This is... This is a good one because it was well, the most the tragic story since 2000 in, in footy. It's hard to argue against it. Uh, the huddle in the Hawks-Pies match after the tragic passing of Phil Walsh. Unscripted emotion. And another one, I reckon it was the first one I thought of when thinking of great moments or powerful moments was Jason McCartney's farewell game uh, in 2003. So he comes back. No one knew it was his last game at the time. He kicks a goal in the last quarter. North Melbourne win by less than a kick. He was sort of representing everyone that was affected by the Bali bombings by getting back and playing in that game. And then with Tony Jones post-match, no one saw it coming because no one knew he announced that he's retiring. So that that was such a, a powerful moment and uh, one of the great uh, moments that uh, we have seen in footy. I'm not sure about this one. Can't do favourite moments without with Julian without including Ju- Julian not knowing who Paddy Mills was. Well, that's in the top 20 moments of borderline acceptable sports journalists not recognising superstars around the world. So I think I get in the top 20 there, but doesn't quite uh, match up for footy, even though it was outside Collingwood. So it does have a, a t- tedious or tenuous link to footy. Let's get to Mark uh, on the Limestone Coast, who's got a nomination for us. G'day, Mark. Cheers, mate. Two moments for you. One is um, after the game, Michael Malthouse crying with his players. Against, um, oh, I think it was against uh, yeah, Brisbane. Brisbane, yeah, 2002, yeah, yeah, was... yeah, to show that uh, how how emotionally truly invested he was. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yep. to, to 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 openly cry, and the second was not quite a grand final moment, but grand final related. I think Stephen Kernahan's rendition of "Stand by Your Man" <laughs> after they were won the premiership <laughs> is up there with anything I've ever seen on Australian Idol or We've Got Talent or whatever it's called. It was Stand fantastic. By your man. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, it. Oh, there goes any chance of getting sticks on the show ever again because he hates when that gets played. But uh, only one problem, Mark. That was 1987. We're talking about post 2000. Oh. Oh, geez, I'm showing my age. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to go have a lay down. I'm going to have a Bex and a lay down. I'll catch you later on. Good on you, Mark. We always love your calls. Uh, one more before we get to the break. We'll switch our attention to the cricket uh, afterwards uh, with Jeff Lemon, who called that amazing upset. One of the great upsets in cricket history, you'd have to suggest. The Netherlands uh, knocking off South Africa and knocking them out of the semifinals uh, yesterday. Let's get to Adam in St Kilda. Get Adam. Hello, Julian. I think the great moment. I was there about six years ago. Sam Lloyd's kicking goal after the siren when Richmond played Sydney Swans at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. The goal after the siren. Yeah, there's, look, there has been plenty of memorable goals uh, after the siren. Not sure to make our top twenty, but it was a a fantastic kick. And I think it was 2016, wasn't Adam? Which was a pretty forgettable year uh, for the Tigers. It was probably the, the only highlight of the year, and we all know at the end of the year. Damien Harbick just survived, and history says that was a great decision, and, and they've gone from strength to strength uh, ever since. So thanks for your call, Adam. We've got a heap coming through on the temper text. We'll sprinkle some uh, throughout the day. But you're listening to Afternoons on SEN. Uh, thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly. We'll turn our attention to the T20 World Cup after the break with SEN commentator Jeff Lemon. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. 
Bricklane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. They're about to seal a win over one of the biggest. Bastelita comes in, bowls to Norquia, who smacks it away through the covers for four. And the Dutch celebrate. You'll really see that. The boundary conceded and the celebrations begin. But Netherlands have beaten South Africa. They have knocked South Africa out of the World Cup in 2022. The orange huddle forms in the middle of the ground and the South African batters congratulate them, shake their hands, but they will be devastated. They finish on five points in the group. Pakistan or Bangladesh will finish on six points at some point later today and it will knock them out of the World Cup. Wow, great call there from Jeff Lemon. Stunning upset. I heard from Andrew McDonald, one of the uh, grabs that was played with Jared this morning, talking about after Australia's loss, saying, well, you know, it's this 2020 cricket. You know, Pakistan, they haven't even qualified for the semi-final. So no one, I don't think, was expecting uh, that result yesterday. Jeff's been good enough to join us. Jeff, I'm just wondering, at what stage of that match yesterday did you think, hang on a second, South Africa might lose this? I, I think we thought that, you know, it would be close, but that they would find a way to do it. So even when there was a point where they needed 60 off the last six overs, and but they've got David Miller there, they've got Heinrich Klaassen there, and, and those are two pretty powerful strikers. And you think, well, they'll be good enough to take on, you know, one Dutch bowler, take 20 off and over at some point, fix the equation, and they should be right. It was really only when... Uh, uh, when Miller got out, that you thought, well, hang on, like there might, there's not actually going to be the support at the other end. They've got a short batting lineup, and uh, they could be a, a real chance to get knocked off here. But I think it was only with a, yeah about four or five overs to go. Just reading some of the analysis today and uh, some of the the post mortem, we're all talking about South Africa again uh, failing to get it done in a big tournament at a crucial time. But there's, I saw a bit of criticism around the decision at the toss from the South Africans. Did they get that wrong? Well, I, I think they had it right in terms of thinking that they've got a, a, a bowling attack that can outmatch the Dutch. I mean, you see this thing quite often in international cricket where the teams at the very, very top that have proper fast bowling, you know, 145 kilometre an hour plus sort of fast bowling, the lower ranked teams don't face that. They don't see that when they play against each other because they don't have those kinds of players. And so... If you've got someone like Henrik Norquia in your team who's bowling 154 k's an hour through the tournament, you think, well, just unleash him on the Dutch. They won't be able to do anything. He'll knock over five of them and happy days will chase it in 10 overs and, and have a nice early exit. So, it, I mean, tactically, in a neutral sense, it was the right thing to do, but maybe it didn't read the ground because teams batting second have struggled at Adelaide over the last week or so. It's hard to know. We're not We're not psychologists and... It's hard to get in the, the, the minds of the players. But when this happens to South Africa, do, you, do we think the weight of history at times plays a part in these situations? I, I think by this point, it's hard to deny that that must be part of it. So it's not like, I mean, obviously every every team has different players in it and they're from different eras and all of the rest of it. But by the time you've got such a consistent streak, I think by the time the possibility of losing appears. You know, that's when things start to, to fall apart. But I think it's also worth being clear that this wasn't a game that South Africa lost. This is a game that the Dutch won because they wanted it. They were furious about it. They were Their attack on the ball, the way they fielded, the way they choked off South Africa's scoring, the way they 
buzzed around inside the ring. You know, they were bang up for it from ball one. Um, they fielded brilliantly. They caught brilliantly. They were there to make a point. Um, and I think they did make a big point to not just South Africa, but a lot of the big teams in the world to say that we can match it with you on our day. Just on that, we're speaking to Jeff Lemon, SEN cricket commentator. We've seen, you know, the Irish knockoff England. The only team that didn't win a game in this World Cup has been Afghanistan. We saw what the Netherlands did yesterday. What do, what has this tournament said about some of these emerging nations? Is this a sign that they are improving and they can do more damage in major tournaments in the future? Or is this just part of 2020 cricket that we're always going to see the odd upset, but we, we'll never see these teams you know, make semi-finals of these tournaments, for example? I, I think it massively shows that the standard has improved a lot. I mean, Afghanistan didn't get a win, but they had two games washed out and they very nearly beat Australia. So, you know, that would have been another one of those upsets. Now, there's a point where the upsets stop being upsets if they're happening regularly enough. And so what we see with these lower-ranked teams is they struggle with the consistency. They can't turn on that performance every time they come out to play, but they are good enough to turn on that that performance, you know, one time out of five or six rather than one time out of 20 or 30 or 50, which it, it may have been once upon a time. So they're playing a lot more amongst themselves. They're, they're playing more uh, more tournaments. They've got more players in franchise T20 tournaments. And there is something about the short form that does equalise teams more than longer formats. So you'd find those teams would struggle to compete more in, say, a 50-over match. But in a 20-over match, it's short enough that a couple of players having an influential day uh, can make the difference or a couple of players failing on the other team can make a difference. So I hope that we see more movement from the top of, of the food chain in world cricket to say that we need to be playing these teams more and giving them more opportunities. You'd have to say it was a disastrous campaign for Australia. Defending champions, I know no team's gone back-to-back in T20 World Cups, but right from the first match, it just didn't look right for Australia and just didn't look like they were going to fire in this competition. Looking back and analysing, what's the biggest mistake they made in this tournament, do you think? Uh, I think that Australian teams tend to go at things with an inherent conservatism. So when you're a team that, say, you've been beaten up by New Zealand in your first game, your net run rate's been destroyed, uh, you've lost a game you wouldn't have expected to lose against a team that usually struggles against Australia what you need to do from that point is really put the foot down against other teams. So when they played Ireland, when they played Afghanistan, they let those teams into the game by not scoring big enough um, when Australia was batting first and, and then by letting them back into the game by not being more adaptable with the way they were bowling in the second innings. So I think Australia went into those games with a conservative mindset of we've just got to make sure that we notch the win because we don't want to be embarrassed here, where they needed to be prepared to take more risks and, and play more boldly and really take on those teams, put them under pressure, you know, try to try to make huge scores against them and beat them by big margins so that they could get that net run rate repaired. And uh, if they'd done so, then that would have come off. But in the end, both Ireland and Afghanistan were able to run Australia very close. So what happens now, Jeff? Uh, Jared Waitley and Damien Fleming were having this discussion earlier. The fact is, you know, we go into test series now and we've got the home summer and then we've got big series against in- India and England. And then we've got a 50 over World Cup. So... Does it sort of get put on the back burner now, what happens to the T20 team? Or do you think there's discussions that will start pretty much straight away? You know, what do we need to change? Who are the players we're looking at to come in and be the next generation? Or the fact is, for the next six or seven months, it's not really a high priority. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it is a high priority. There's, so there's yet another C20 World Cup in 2024. And part of the issue is that these tournaments come around so often that they don't actually mean as much. You know, bombing out of a T20 World Cup is not a big deal when there's another one 18 months later, you know, as opposed to, say, a 50-over World Cup where it's on that four-year cycle and it feels more significant. So I don't think they'll be thinking about it at all for maybe six six to nine months. Um, but you go in circles with these things. There was a period where Australia tried picking T20 specialists to play, you know, the best players out of the Big Bash to go and play for Australia in T20 cricket, and that failed at the World Cup in 2016. Um, then they, they used their test players effectively in last year's T20 World Cup and win it unexpectedly in the UAE, and they roll out the same team this time around, and uh, they've got nowhere near it, um, the same team that won a year ago. So there is a lot of randomness as well in the 20-over game, and, and if you're off the boil, which Australia were for a week or so, well, that's more than enough to get knocked out of a tournament. It sets up a really intriguing two semi-finals: New Zealand versus Pakistan and England versus India. I think what we're seeing at the MCG with Pakistan and India, and what we saw last night, 82,000 fans for essentially yeah. a dead rubber. I think there's a lot of neutrals hoping for an India-Pakistan final, even though there's a lot of love for the New Zealand cricket team uh, in this country as well. How do you see the two semis going? Well, I think just in terms of spectacle, you know the neutrals would be hoping for India-Pakistan because those two teams don't play each other bilaterally. You know, it's, it's always an occasion when they get together. Uh, but imagine being a Zimbabwe player last night playing in front of 80,000 people. That would never have happened in, in any of their lives or careers. You know, it's an extraordinary thing to happen. That's the power that, you know, the, the crowd-pulling power that having in, India in the finals can bring. And so, you know, I think it's reasonable to, to hope for that just for the sake of the spectacle. But New Zealand are, are a team that probably deserve a trophy. They've they made the last two 50-over World Cup finals, the last 20-over World Cup final, and they're the current uh, World Test Championship winners. So they've done everything right in all formats across the years. And, yeah, it, it would be nice to, to see them finally get some rewards for it. Yeah, who knows what will happen. This tournament has been so unpredictable. Can't wait for the semifinals. Uh, Jeff, uh, well done yesterday. Fantastic call by you and the team. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Uh, absolute pleasure and a pleasure to call that game. Cheers. Great to speak to Jeff Lemon. Let's get another breakaway on afternoons for Brick Lane Brewing. For lovers and makers of great beer, of course, drink responsibly. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Might continue the cricket theme uh, after one o'clock. And we'll play the comments from Glenn Maxwell uh, after the game and just his reaction uh, to Australia being knocked out. There's been some criticism over that. There's been some criticism uh, pre-tournament when Aaron Finch, amongst others, spoke about um, the fatigue level in the Australian team going into this uh, T20 World Cup. So I'd love to get your thoughts on these comments from Glenn Maxwell and just how you feel about the Australian international, not, not so much the Australian team, but international 2020. We've seen the huge crowds for, for Indian games. We haven't quite seen massive crowds for Australia's games. Unfortunately, the, the game where they would have got the massive crowd uh, at the MCG against England was, was washed out. But we haven't seen big crowds for the Aussie games uh, in other states. So give us a call, one 736 736 Also coming up after 1 o'clock, uh, Adam Schneider, as we look back at the 2001 draft. Jess Webster will join us to talk week one of the AFLW final. It's going to be interesting to get her thoughts on, A, the venue for Richmond v North Melbourne, and also the fact that 
the AFLW finals clash with a big game for the Matildas at Amy Park. We can take your calls too on the Werribee Kia open line. one 736 Have you got some great AFL moments since 2000? Uh, we can take some more nominations after the news as well. Need help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Cricket never stops, so you, you don't get time to dwell. Maybe when you retire, you think back to it and, oh, it would have been nice to have won that, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> There's no point in dwelling about it. It's, it's like, oh, well, should, wish we had a one. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> So that was Glenn Maxwell speaking in the aftermath of Australia not making the semi-finals. Does, does that annoy you, that reaction, or is it fair enough? Is that, that the way modern sports people should think, that uh, there's no point dwelling on uh, your disappointments, particularly in the world of international cricket when Australia gets straight into one day as against England and they've got test series coming up. There's three forms of the game. You know, There's big bash. There's, there's so much cricket. Is, is that the right way to go about it from Glenn Maxwell's uh, point of view, or would you have liked to have heard... A little more hurt and disappointment uh, in his voice. So give us a call one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Werribee Kia open line. Awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Uh, later on in this hour, we'll speak to Adam Schneider, the former Saint, former Swan. Uh, we're just going to go back uh, twenty one years. So it's twenty one year, uh, twenty one days to the AFL National Draft. So we'll go back twenty one years to the two thousand one draft. Of course, the Super Draft: Hodge, Ball, Judd, Bartel, Stevie J, Gary Ablett, uh, Sam Mitchell, Dane Swan, Brian Lake, a host of superstars. But one of the the real late picks was Adam Schneider, who turned out to be a great player for both Sydney uh, and St Kilda. So he will join us uh, a little bit later on uh, in this hour. So a lot of talk about the the uh, Aussies' departure from the T20 World Cup. Now, Andrew McDonald, uh, he certainly showed a little bit uh, more hurt when he spoke uh, about the uh, scheduling of this tournament. Number five there, eh, Rod? <laughs> I think if you, you'll see some players walk through here, um, if you want to use the term hurt, they're, they're, they're bitterly disappointed uh, that they don't have an opportunity to defend uh, the World Cup and get through to the semi-finals. And it's one of the greatest challenges is navigating through the group stages, the way that the World Cup's set up. Uh, only two teams go through from each group. And we see on the other side of the draw, you've got Pakistan, arguably one of the, the most exciting T20 um, nations to, to play, and, and they're going to miss out as well. But, yeah, to say that the scheduling diminishes the importance of each game for Australia, I think, so, is a long stretch. Um, different people will show different emotions on the back of failure. Um, and this is a failed campaign, so um, you know, Glenn might move on faster than, than others, but um, we're not going to judge how players move on. Clearly, there'll be another fixture that comes up, and they're all important. Uh, before we get to Ken in Dan, I'll just play one more bit of audio. I think everyone almost fell off their chair when we tuned in on Friday night and saw that Mitch Stark wasn't in the Australian team. Yes, he can be expensive, but in a game where it's all about winning and winning well and getting the net run rate up, the man that can skittle an opposition better than anyone, uh, Mitch Stark was left out. So I'm going to give A-Rod a bit of notice. Number three, A-Rod. Not one, not two, not four, number three. We were looking to reinforce the the back end um, with Kane Richardson. Um, So we put a premium on death bowling. Uh, That was the decision uh, in a nutshell, really. Um, It was Kane up against Starkey for for a little bit of um, death death bowling depth. And 
uh, Kane got the nod. Um, and any time you leave out a player of the stature of Mitchell Stark, it's it's always going to, I suppose, create um, you know, significant sort of, I suppose, how would you phrase it? It's you know, attention to, to that selection. Um, and the reality is that we've got 15 players that arguably could be in the 11. Um, and those that miss out are always going to be genuinely uh, you know, stiff. Yeah, I don't know how you can justify that decision. That was a very strange one. A couple of people jumped on the Werribee Care open line. Let's go to Ken in Kensington and wants to talk about Glenn Maxwell's comments. G'day, Ken. Yeah, you go, mate. I was just uh, listening to that, but no one seems to talk about the new coach. I mean, Langer uh, took over and uh, instilled some pride in playing for Australia, whether it's T20 or whatever, whereas the new guy, I mean, the players love him, but it, shouldn't there be a separation between coach and players? They seem all pretty relaxed and don't really, really care about it. That, that's the feeling I got out of the whole tournament, really. It didn't seem to me much still. Yeah, it's an interesting call, Ken, because we know Andrew McDonald was part of the coaching staff with Justin Langer and certainly was uh, popular with the players. And yet there's got to be, you know, a a level of blame and criticism coming his way. He is the coach of the team. And if the team goes well, uh, plenty of people will uh, pump him up. And if the team struggles, particularly when there's question marks around selection, and we just spoke about Mitch Stark there, and, and even what they did... With the team in the warm-up games, they chopped and changed. They didn't really settle the team down. So that all has to fall back uh, on the coach as well. So it's a really interesting call. Uh, $50 Brick Lane Brewing Voucher coming your way. Might just play some audio in a second of Simon O'Donnell uh, talking about uh, just We talked about this last week, uh, about just some of the apathy around the Australian cricket team. There doesn't seem to be a lot of love uh, for the Australian cricket team. And, and Simon O'Donnell's got a theory as to why uh, that might be the case. While uh, Rod, Rod searches for that during a big catalogue of audio, uh, let's get to Dan in Rye. G'day, Dan. Oh, yeah. G'day, Julian. Um, look, it's a pretty, doesn't matter what sport it is, it's a pretty simple question. If the participants aren't particularly passionate or emotional or enthusiastic, and I, who could not draw that conclusion from the way Maxwell talked then, then why should we? Yeah, so you you were a bit disappointed in those comments? Oh, yeah, I was just disappointed in the blasé nature of them. I mean, sport is different from other aspects of life. It involves passion and emotion, and you don't have to go overboard, but to show some demonstrable disappointment rather than, oh, well, you know, take my bat and ball and go and play in the next tournament, well, that's not going to inspire much um, passion in the Australian public, is it? Now, how do you feel about international T20 cricket? Dan, like if you're watching the Australian team, I'm not sure if you're emotionally invested in the Australian team or not when they're playing cricket, but where does a T20 World Cup or a T20 International sit in terms of, you know, matches you really want to see the Australian team win or, or more more so you feel really disappointed they don't win? Well, I'm not actually a big cricket fan per se. I'm just a fan of Australia when they play in any sporting tournament, whether male, female, whatever sport it is. So if I sense that the uh, the members of the team are up and about and passionate about what they're doing, I'll, I'll tune in because I'm, I'm a, a massive Australian sports fan. But I just don't. Yep. Sorry, Dan, keep going. You just dropped out for a sec there. Yeah, so I, I, I'm just a massive a sports fan of any Australian team, male or female, and if they show passion, I'll tune in. But if they show that type of apathy, I won't. I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah, I, I agree, Dan. It just it feels like we saw what happened with the, the women's T20 here a couple of years ago, just before COVID kicked in. You know, Australia won the tournament, had that record crowd at the MCG, and just what it did for that team, and maybe how we feel about international T20 cricket. You just feel... 
such a big opportunity was let slip here for, for, for Australia. And we said before, you know, unfortunately that the big sort of marquee game of the, of the preliminaries was washed out Australia versus England. So who knows if that was a great game in front of 90,000 people and Australia won what that would have done. But the fact that we won it last year overseas to come back home world cup and to not even make the semifinals and therefore not even have the chance to make the final, which would be at the MCG in front of a packed house. Cricket Australia must be disappointed that maybe an opportunity to get a bit more love around T20 cricket and this Australian team sort of let was let slip because the team uh, didn't perform too well. We're getting certainly some mixed feelings off um, the temper text here about Glenn Maxwell's comments. Uh, one here, you know, a couple here supporting him, saying, well, Maxie is right. What he's done is done. Move on. Another one here from Susan. Uh, good on Glenn Maxwell speaking the truth. T20, not for me. The real test of a cricketer will always remain five-day test cricket. Uh, says uh, Susan. So a few people saying, well, he's just being honest uh, and he's moving on uh, quickly. But uh, clearly, you know, a few callers uh, said a little bit differently. Let's go to Jenny in Box Hill North. G'day, Jenny. Yes, g'day. Um, I think when you're playing for your country, it's a little word called pride, P-R-I-D-E. And sorely lacking. You think that those comments from Glenn Maxwell showed a lack of pride in performance, do you think? Oh, totally. Just to, to brush it off like that, I think that's disgraceful. You're yeah. representing your country, for goodness sake. Um, you want supporters behind you to show a bit of pride and, you know, get out there and... Do your best, but to come in and make that, that sort of a off the cuff comment like that, and, and as someone said, blase, totally unacceptable. Thanks for your call, Jenny. Yeah, it's certainly getting a mixed response, and, and there is similar responses on our temper text machine uh, saying uh, it's very similar to you, where others, as we said, have sort of supported Glenn. So he's just being honest and uh, he's moving on quickly. And, and you know, it might show that, uh, you know, T20 cricket internationally is still in terms of importance for the players, uh, still uh, way below uh, test cricket. Um, let's get to Simon O'Donnell. So he was asked this morning about Sam. And we've just, just sort of been bubbling around in the background. Ian Healy made the comments on SEN last week that he just didn't feel there was a lot of love and a lot of support for this Australian team. Uh, Simon O'Donnell has a theory on why one of the main reasons for that might be. The, the, the Langer thing's big in this. Pe- people didn't like how that happened. And Justin Langer was was much loved as a player, and you know went about his business. And he was hard nosed, and you know, that unceremonious dumping of the coach and the the players' activity behind the scenes in that 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 has left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. I think a lot of people would agree with Simon. There, I think a lot of people were disappointed that a Justin Langer was let go, B, the way he was let go, and probably C, the fact that it was sort of painted that it was almost the players removing uh, or playing a big role in uh, removing uh, Justin Lang. So I think there is there is some truth in that comment. Interesting uh, temper text here from Simo and Preston about Andrew McDonald, comparing him to Justin Langer. Uh, Justin Langer coached t- lost two home test series against India, which has never happened before. Under McDonald, these Aussies won two test series in Asia, Asia which we haven't done for years. That's what matters, not T20 rubbish, says Simo in Preston. So, yeah, look, there is, I think a lot of people still believe Australia winning test cricket is still far more important 
uh, than T20 World uh, Cups. Let's go to PJ before we get to the break. Uh, PJ in Kangaroo Re- Kangaroo Ground. G'day, PJ. G'day, boys. How are you going? Good, thank you. Uh, we're talking about cricket. Um, one thing, now you know why the players don't pick coaches. All right, they picked McDonald. He's a bit of a goose. Let's face it; he wasn't that good a player as well. But that doesn't matter. Some of the They've best, co- but the some region. of the, but some of the best coaches in world sport. PJ, if you look at the AFL, they haven't been the best players. You don't have to be the best player to be a good coach. No, I know, but did the players pick them? That's the thing. Like I don't know any sides, league footy, anything that I've ever been in where the players pick the captain, but they don't pick the coach. So he you... was a tough boy, Langer. Mm. You know, he's got more black belts in his buddy wardrobe than we have. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, and he used to train them hard, but, mate, they were really good. And, and listening to um, listening to Maxie this morning, like, fair dinkum, Maxie, we can tell you don't really care the way you bat. You don't value your wicket. You do everything else, Grouse. But when it comes to valuing your wicket and not going out, he wants to play those fancy backward shots and shit... Mate, the percentages on those, it's like the defensive 90 they do in, in league footy. The percentages are just rotten. I don't know how they do it. That's the way he's always played, though, isn't it, PJ? I mean, it's not going to change now, is it? He's a risk taker, and at times it looks horrible when it doesn't come off. You know what I mean? It doesn't come off more times than it does come off. That's the thing. You watch that shot that they use. And how many times they get away with LBW, like, oh, my God, the ball tracker, like, oh, <laughs> the ball tracker's got no idea what's going on. They get hit right in front. It's, it's like, you know, you're gone. Well, it's a shocking shot. Um, Julian, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's right, PJ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look at the percentages, bro. It's like when they do that defensive kick out, the 90 didn't do it shockingly where they let all their players go and they stand there and wave their arms around. If you watch the seagulls, not even the seagulls and the pigeons are scared of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? They let all their players go and then they're trying to catch. It's like the percentages of some of these things, boys, like, you know, I'm not a brain surgeon or anything like that. But, you know, you see it turning up all the time. And, and Maxi, when we really need him, really need him, he falls down. You know, he, didn't, he didn't have a bad tournament, though. I love him, bro. Don't get me mistaken. I do love the man. But his lack of ability to keep his wicket intact when they really, really need it is just, it's just terrible. Thanks for your call, PJ. Yeah, I can sense your frustration. There's an interesting temper text here just on, on Glenn Maxwell's comments. When you consider that Glenn Maxwell may be a man who uses multiple tools to manage his mental health, as we've seen recently, perhaps we could be a little slower to judge him for his comments rather than flatly assuming he doesn't care. Uh, Warren from Diamond Creek, hang on. We'll get to you on the other side of the break on the Werribee Care Open Line Awarded National Care Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Care makes buying car easy. This is Afternoons on SEN. Thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop with you. We're talking cricket, uh, mainly sort of the response to Australia's failure in the T20 World Cup uh, and Glenn Maxwell's comments after the game that, you know, you've got to quickly move on. 
Uh, and that's basically, you can't dwell on it and uh, you got to move on. It hasn't pleased everyone. Uh, let's get to Alan in Sydney. He wants to have a chat about the cricket. G'day, Alan. Hi, how are we going, Kemp? Um, I, when I first heard Glenn's uh, reply, I certainly wasn't happy about it. Then I went to YouTube to actually watch the post-match press conference and He's there smiling and uh, nobody wants to ask him a question to start with. Then he sees one of his one of the journos in the in the crowd that's doing the, the at the press conference and he says, How you going, Charlie? I haven't seen you for ages, you're doing all right? So it was just a friendly thing yep. and that was the mood he was in. And if if you so then I'm not now I can forgive him because of that's where the the, the thing took place. And um, that's Glenn Maxwell. What you see is what you get. And whether he wins or whether he loses, I reckon uh, that's the same fella. That, yeah, that's interesting, Alan. Thanks for putting some context around that. Look, and I think as Andrew McDonald said, everyone reacts to disappointment and losses different. Some stew on it. In that they're disappointed outwardly, and I'm sure Glenn Maxwell was disappointed inwardly, but doesn't always express that uh, outwardly. So we're not all the same. I mean, and we see it in, in footy sometimes. Some coaches sit there and punch the desk and throw phones, and others just sit there quietly and it looks like it's not bothering them. But I'm sure inside uh, it's churning them. Uh, let's get to Warren in Diamond Creek. G'day, Warren. Oh, g'day, mate. Um, mainly on Maxwell and the whole team, I guess. I've been thinking about this for a while, trying to trying to put it into words, but um, I don't know, these guys need a reality check, like like most of us, I've just finished work, you know, I go to work for an hourly rate, and I pay the bills, and I come home, and nothing's too exciting, and you watch the cricket, and you look at these guys, let, let's strip it back to, what's their job? What are they getting paid for? Like, it's not just go out and play cricket, it's, you're representing us, you're entertaining us, you know, you're paid to show passion and pride, and all the rest of it, and you're lucky to be there, you know, okay, move on, yeah, that, that's great, but you paid a lot of money, not just to play cricket, but to entertain us and to show, you know, when you're upset, like we're upset, all of it, there's a lot more to it than just hitting a the ball. There is, a, in a way, Ryan, are we being a bit hard on this team? It just occurred to me, we, we lost one game. We lost as many games as New Zealand and England that uh, who went through to the semis from our group. So that's uh, a little bit of a separate comment to the reaction after you lose, which we're talking about. But are we being a little bit di- bit tough on this team for their performance in this World Cup, given, I know it was a bad loss and it ended up costing us, that they only really lost one game? Yeah, look, maybe, uh, but the way they lost to New Zealand the way they went through the whole tournament. Um, you know, everyone's talking about it, that, that there's not a lot of passion there. And Maxwell to come out and say what he said, look, maybe we took it the wrong way, maybe he's just, maybe he's hurting. But to come out and say that when we're sitting here watching, I'm going, you're getting paid all this. As I said, let's just strip it back to what is their job. Take away what they, what they honestly believe and feel. They're getting paid a lot of money to do a job. What is that job? It's to entertain us and it's to show passion and all the rest of it. If you're not going to do that, mate, go and get a nine-to-five job and see what the world's really like. 
Yeah, interesting call, Warren. I'm sure plenty of people feel exactly this. I've got a temper text, uh, a similar sort of theme here. It's, it's uh, So it starts, it's not just Maxi. He actually played okay. It's our entire team that looks like they're not passionate enough for their country in this 2020 format. And therefore, we, the fans, are not passionate and are not going. Our team is just not fighting hard enough for their country in this format. India and its fans have moved quickly and all are all guns blazing in this format. But as Aussies, both players and fans are... A, a little slower to change. It's interesting you say that because what happened 12 months, just over 12 months ago, we fought our backsides off and won it. I mean, we started the tournament really slow. We were thrashed by England. No one thought Australia was going to win that World Cup. And then in the semifinals and the final, you know, times in those games were in trouble. But through, you know, Matthew Wade in particular, they fought and fought and fought and found a way to win. So I don't think you can say blanketly across the board in T20 cricket, Australia don't fight hard enough because they've shown in the past in the biggest tournament, and it was only over 12 months ago, that they do. So it might not look like it at times in this tournament. They certainly weren't at their best. But I think it's a bit too simplistic to say in T20 cricket, Australia internationally don't uh, fight uh, hard enough. Another one here from Matt. Uh, Max's comments are probably a strong reason why crowds have been down. Clearly no one is invested in it enough, along, unlike some other countries. Uh, so thanks for your thoughts uh, on the cricket. I'm going to switch back to footy. Uh, after the break. So 21 days to the National Draft. So we're going to go back 21 years to the 2001 National Draft. Full of superstars at the top, as we all know. If you look at that top 10, uh, Luke Hodge, Luke Ball, Chris Judd, uh, Jimmy Bartell was in the top 10 as well, and a host of other superstars like Brian Lake, Dane Swan, uh, Gary Ablett, Nick Del Santo, Lee Montagna, the list goes on and on. Sam Mitchell uh, were in that draft. But one of the bargains of that draft was Adam Schneider. Pick 60, star for the Saints, star for the Swans. Played a lot of finals, footies and grand finals. He's going to join us uh, after the news. This is how we do it. South Central Very nice, Rod. Very, very nice. So we're looking back at 21 years to the 2001 National Draft. We're 21 days away from this year's version. A host of superstars in that draft, as we mentioned before the break. The big three, the top three that year, Luke Hodge, Luke Ball and Chris Judd. But if you look down the list, the recruiters got some bargains after pick 50. You got uh, Brad Miller, pick 55. Pick 56, the skunk, Paul Medhurst, picked up by the Dockers. Pick 58, none other than Dane Swan. And then pick 60, an absolute bargain from the Swans, Adam Schneider, who's been good enough to join us this afternoon. G'day, Adam. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Before we get, uh, we take a trip down memory lane, your memories of draft time and go back through your career, um, a lot of comebacks in sport. Now, is it true that you actually pulled the boots back on this year for at least one game <laughs> up there at Lavington? What, oh. What's going on there? Yeah, no, look, um, I did actually, but the only reason being is this country footy is struggling a little bit in reserve grade and uh, we're short most weeks, so uh, I think we had 14 or 15 on this day, so look, I'll play a half um, and, yeah, just to help the boys out, just uh, to make sure we keep going, which a lot, a lot of clubs are doing out here and, yeah, look, it's a bit of fun, but, uh, yeah, it didn't pull up too well, that's for sure. <laughs> I was going to ask, how long did it take to recover? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I... I did the hammy about the 18 minute mark of second quarter, so that that put me back a little bit. But it was I was, I was surprised I got that far. But but no, look, it was good fun. And um, like I said, it was most weeks teams are running out there 15, 16 in reserve grade and in all country footy. So you got to make sure we can keep them going and get games with these young guys. So it's all worth it. How's it been stepping back into country footy? Because you stepped out of the AFL system with the Giants to go and coach at Lavington. How, how's the move been for you? 
Yeah, look, it was obviously you know on last minute thing. You know, I was still contracted with the Giants with a year to go, and and just with everything in family and, and Sydney, just was financially just couldn't couldn't keep doing it. So decided to come down here. Look, it's been fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Trying to get the balance right of you know professionalism, but also it's a country club, so they're not professionals. They're just here to have a bit of fun. And now, look, I've really really loved it. You know, I'm passionate about coaching and, and helping young guys develop. So something that I reckon I'll probably do forever along the line, but no, it's been really, really good down here. And, and the O&M's, it's really going leaps and bounds at the moment with some, I think every club bar one's got an AFL affiliated person and, you know, Stevie Johnson's also just yep. come down here to Yarrawonga, so it's getting better and better. How did Lamington go this year? Um, yeah, not too bad. Probably hurt me coming here in about January. Uh, we lost about five of our best players, took off to the VFL, and uh, but we finished... We missed out on finals by percentage, so we uh, we exceeded expectations, but it was pretty promising, and hopefully this year we can build on it. Would you like to get back into the AFL system at some stage? Uh, oh, definitely not closing that door, mate, I think. I think I just had to realistically get out of Sydney. Uh, like I said financial and family, it just wasn't wasn't doing it. Um, and obviously after COVID hit the soft cap, it made it even harder. So, um, yeah, look, definitely not ruling it out. We're just going to have a year or two here and and see what happens next, mate. Speaking of former Sydney Swan and St Kilda Ford, Adam Schneider, as we look back uh, 21 years, it's 21 days to this year's version of the AFL National Draft. Adam was pick 60 in 2001. What, what are your memories of around draft day? And uh, I guess the coverage wasn't as excessive as it is now. What are your memories of, of draft day? Yeah, it's a funny one, actually. i got a good good memory. I think Mickey Martin was just after me or something. He as was. Well, so pick 61. remember that. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I remember getting picked for him, so it was exciting. I reckon I'm, I ran into him about two or three weeks before it one day. I think it was at the casino in Melbourne. He was sitting there stuffing his face with KFC and <laughs> like three in the morning and asked for a photo as a young kid, but he turned me down because he was too busy eating. Um, <laughs> but no, look, a draft, I think that was the only year it wasn't actually physically televised, I'm pretty sure. Or it wasn't. It was only on online. Um, and I was, grew up on a farm out of Osborne. And we're you know, watching it on the internet and we'll click and refresh every, you know, 30, 60 seconds to see who got picked next. And wasn't expecting to because I was just a young 17-year-old just playing. And, and I think we got to about, oh, pick 30. And uh, the internet crashed. And it didn't work. So <laughs> the old dial-up, we tried to do the dial-up again. Still didn't work. So like, right, oh, we're halfway through this. What do we do? You know, and obviously, Dean in the country, you know your neighbours really well. So we drove down to my neighbour's house. They weren't home. So we thought, oh, well... They know us well enough. We broke into our neighbour's house and got onto their computer. And, <laughs> and then, uh, again, I've been there. He's a mate of mine, so I knew where to go and helped ourselves in. And, yeah, that was – we found out down there. So I was um, – just used their computer to find out how whether I was getting drafted or not. Had you spoken to many clubs in the in the lead-up? Um, I, I don't recall too many. I did draft – I did the camp in Canberra, uh, but I was injured at the time. And I think I spoke to about three or four four there, but I was a, an underager as well. So like I said, I wasn't really expecting much, to be honest. I was just young and naive, just playing footy and having a kick. And um, yeah, I was, was lucky to uh, for the Swans to come down and obviously followed them pretty closely, being a New South Wales boy. And Paul Kelly from Wagga was one of my favourite players. So yeah, I was really lucky to get picked up by them. What was it like? It was an easy start for you. Injury, illness in that first year, didn't play a senior game. What, what, what are your memories of stepping into the AFL system and, and how that first year unfolded for you? Oh, mate, to be brutally honest, I hated it. <laughs> I was a young country kid from Osmond, a population of five people. To going up a city with whatever the population up there, four or five million, was, was a real, you know, obviously an eye-opener. But 
I think the day I went in there, I, I got a body examination. I found that I had a crack in my foot. So I was in the moon boot for, I think, two months or something from day one. So the idea, you know, wasn't what you pictured as a kid getting drafted. And I was a tad overweight and a tad fat at the time. So the skin folds nearly raised 100, <laughs> I think. So the club wasn't too impressed with me. Um, but again, that was all part of the journey, part of learning. I love footy and I love playing footy. So I was, you know, wrapped to be a part of it. But um, yeah, I just found the country to the city move was hard at the time. But look back, it sort of developed me better as a person and faster. So yeah, early memories on. And I still remember getting Stuart Maxfield sat me down after about a month and had some real hard words about it, about how to going to the AFL culture and what you got to do and the professionalism and that's something that really sits with me now and, and remembers and sort of changed me on the way. Interesting you mentioned Stewie Maxfield's name there Adam because everyone that was at the Swans under Stewie particularly when he was captain just lord he wasn't unfortunately he wasn't around to play in, in the in the grand final in 2005 but they lord the impact he had H- how good a leader was Stewie Maxfield? Yeah he was good mate he was I think he was extremely honest which you know, some people don't like that, but to me, that was something that really stood out. And he also just led by on the track. He's one of the hardest trainers there possible. And he, was, he did have a fair few injuries towards the end of his career. But um, he was just, I don't know, he was very approachable. He trained really hard and he was honest feedback with you. So I think they, him and, you know, Brett Kirk and after Kel and all that finished, they, they left a really good culture uh, for the Swans to thrive and, you know, led by Kel and, and guys like that as well. It was um, it was easy to walk into and just to know what you needed to do as a young player. So, so you know, and you had, well, so it was, made it even easier. So 2003, the team gets on a roll under Paul Ruse. Yourself come in, rising star nominee. And then by 2005, the team's in the finals. And uh, is that one of your favourite memories, the prelim of 2005? The team storms home and you kick three goals in the final term. Yeah, obviously you do remember the games that you win are always always well and good. But I think that one was it was sort of built up from 2003. I think um, we sort of got that belief under Ruzi that we could play good footy. You know, the prelim we just lost to Brisbane in 03. They come home late in the last quarter and, and got us, and they went on to win the flag. And then in four we just fell short to St Kilda, who are a really good team. And in five was like just that that build up of three years of work. And um, oh, just some unbelievable moments. And that you remember, and that's definitely one of them. And like I said, there's guys like Stewie Maxfield and Matty Nix who didn't get to play in the grand final, but were, were definitely part of getting us there and helping us out. So, yeah, it's obviously a dream for me. But again, I was young and dumb. I was 20, I think, at the time or whatever, and I've just won an AFL grand final. So I thought this was normal, <laughs> which wasn't the nicest habit to have, but um, it was just a good learning point and something I'll cherish, cherish forever. I was going to ask you about that because it's a, quite a remarkable career, really. 23 finals. Five grand finals you played. Now, we spoke to Matthew Stokes a short time ago, and he, he sort of said he won three and lost one, but it's the loss that sticks with him the most over the win. How does it sit for you, given you experience and a draw, uh, both all all ranges of emotions, I guess, on grand final day? Uh, 100%. I'd have to agree with Stokesy. Um, and I was fortunate enough as a junior to have played in six or seven growing up, so I sort of walked into the AFL with that behind me. And then was lucky enough to win the 05 Grand Final early in your career. So you sort of, not bad habits, but you don't appreciate it as much as what you would towards the end of the career. And in 06, it could have went either way against West Coast, but footy guards probably played something there and, you know, gave us one each because some really good battles over that time. And, and obviously, nine and 10, you know, they still hurt, you know. And every time you, you speak about it or you, you see a highlight on the TV, there's, there's no doubt they hurt just because they were such close games. and. You know, you miss a couple of goals like I did myself and you have these what-if moments and, 
it just it just burns you, to be honest. So yeah, they, they definitely stick with you, and, and probably more for me would be the nine and ten one. Like I said in in oh five and six. If you said West Coast and Swans would have one each, you'd probably say that's yeah. fair. Both clubs deserve it because imagine if you lost two of them, you know. So you got to sort of flip the script on that. But bit of a nine and ten to watch what we did there and Rossi, and obviously you know great to the club who didn't walk away with the flag like Lenny Hayes and that. It's just sort of not fair, and we, we did such a good work. We just couldn't quite get it done on the last day. Before I let you go, where does the heart lie? Is is, is it Swans Saints? Ninety eight games, ninety nine goals for the Swans. Hundred and thirty games, hundred and sixty goals for the Saints. So. Are they playing each other? Who are you supporting? And how do you feel about Ross being back in charge of the Saints? No, I won't pick a team, mate. There's some, <laughs> uh, we've got great memories and great both clubs and, you know, been part of the Giants as well. So you just follow follow clubs, mate, and follow people. I didn't even follow anyone growing up either. As a kid, I was just a passionate footballer who just loved playing and watching players. So uh, that's how I roll. But, and for Rossi, it's fantastic. It's, it's bloody exciting for a St Kilda people. He will come in and make a difference. And, you know, obviously, Brett is extremely unlucky of how it all played out. And Unfortunately, it's just a brutal of a business at the moment. But, um, yeah, look, I think he's, he's going to be great. And a lot of people talk about getting the crew back together. But it's not like he's just finished. Everyone's finished their career and still got St Kilda on their mind. That's not all they know. They've all gone away and been at other clubs. And, and Harves, Harves has done that at two other clubs. You know, he knows what's going on. Uh, Lenny's been at the Giants as well. So they've all got different ideas now to come back together and, you know, build the core of what they all believe in, what they probably learnt, but also add a little bit of things here and there of what they learn differently. So it's going to be exciting times. And, yeah, I think the effort, you'll get a consistent effort from the Saints this year. Oh, Adam, great to catch up. It was a wonderful career. Uh, pick 60, absolute uh, bargain given what you produced. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and uh, good luck with everything you're doing up there in uh, Lavington next year and beyond. Yeah, no worries, mate. Thanks very much and good luck to all the guys in the draft this year. Beautiful. Great to chat to Adam Snyder. A gun for the Saints and the Swans. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to Afternoons. Julian DeStoot with you. A bit of real-time feedback for A-Rod here. What's with the horrible music for teenage girls? Please stop, says one of the temper texters. I thought the variety's been... you're a lousy bloke. <laughs> I thought the variety's been pretty good. Uh, today, uh, you're listening to SEN Afternoons, Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly. After 2 o'clock, we're going to speak to AFLW commentator Jess Webster. A lot to get through. Not only the games on the weekend, but what's happening this weekend. A lot. Of, a few people have been critical of the fact that Richmond's semi-final has been scheduled for Punt Road. Only a couple of thousand people uh, can get in when you've got, you know, Victoria Park around the corner and you've got uh, Icon Park. Uh, the fact that there's a, a scheduling clash with the Matildas, who play Sweden at Amy Park in a friendly. And also just reading a story here uh, from Sarah Black from afl.com.au, about Nathan, around Nathan Burke, uh, the Bulldogs AFLW coach. The AFL is likely to issue Western Bulldogs AFLW coach Nathan Burke with a please explain in relation to his behaviour towards umpires. Women's AFL understands that Burke's frustration with the umpires came to a head on Sunday. Burke coaches from the interchange bench and his path crossed with the umpires leaving the field at the conclusion of the Dogs' five-point elimination final loss to Collingwood on Sunday. No words were exchanged, but a pointed look was sent the umpires' way. Burke's passionate post-match celebrations following the Dogs' last cup win over Carlton round 10, which earned them a finals berth, raised a few eyebrows as it included him hurling an object into the dugout. But women's AFL 
understands that isn't included in the please explain. At Icon Park, the umpire's bench is between the home and away team's benches. So maybe a little bit of trouble there uh, for Nathan Burke. So we'll ask uh, Jess Webster about that as well. A few more uh, coming off uh, the temper text. Of course, that's for 40 Winks uh, temper text, 0433981116. Get your unique bed match profile and the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Um, sorry, Dom, we couldn't quite get this one into Adam Schneider, but he's suggesting there's a draft smokey called Joe Richards playing in the Ovens and Murray now. He's 22 and has apparently has three to four clubs, including Collingwood, Richmond, GWS and Sydney looking at him. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that one for you, uh, Dom. Uh, about Glenn Maxwell, all these people saying Glenn Maxwell's response is unacceptable, need to get a grip. Some people stew on things and some move on quickly. Go down to any local cricket club and you'll see the same thing, but all want to win. And if you think an international cricketer has got to this point without having an insatiable desire for winning and improvement, then you have no idea. Imagine being scrutinised for every word you say on top of having pressure to perform in front of the whole world. Maybe Maxie's response is his way of coping with pressure. People need to lighten up. Another one here from Daryl about what went wrong for the Aussies. In the first game against New Zealand, Australia killed their net run rate by throwing their wickets away when the game was done. With that group, the run rate, the net run rate was always going to be crucial. Just stupidity. I'm sure they had their time again. They'd probably just try and uh, not throw the bat as hard and get as close to New Zealand's total as possible. Let's get another breakaway here on SEN Afternoons. As we say, Jess Webster coming up after 2 o'clock. Lost in the wash as well and plenty of time uh, for your calls. A few other things in, in world sport uh, we haven't got to. Uh, and a couple of big achievements from Aussies uh, overseas included. You're listening to Afternoons. Thank to Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. As always, drink responsibly. Master Builders Victoria, supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet? Call today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Bannon wants to take off Button. A couple of bounces. This is a Craig Bradley-like run down the wing at Princess Park. Four bounces. A fifth bounce. Can she keep on going? It's a sixth bounce. Keep on going to full forward. Alison Batten on the run. Six bounces. You heard there from Al Nicholson, who's just letting his Carlton bias shine through. Would have thought Mick McGuan with seven bounces or maybe Lewis Jetta and Cyril Rioli running down the wing on the MCG. But a bit of Craig Badley there from uh, Al Nicholson. Just recapping uh, week one of the AFLW finals. If you're not across the results, start on Friday night. Melbourne through to the prelim with a 21-point victory over Adelaide in a rematch of last year's grand final. In the other qualifying final, Brisbane defeated Richmond by 17 points, so they're also through to a prelim. The elimination finals with Thrillers North Melbourne by two points over the Cats down in Geelong. And then yesterday, Collingwood looked home for all money uh, in the third term when they led by 28 points. But the Dogs charged home with the last four goals of the game but fell five points short. So it means this week it's Richmond versus North Melbourne at Punt Road on Saturday at 1.40pm. And then that's followed by Adelaide versus Collingwood at Unley Oval over in Adelaide at 3.40pm. Jess Webster's been calling it closely, calling it all season long. She's been good enough to join us this afternoon uh, to recap week one and just look at a couple of the other issues that have come out of week one of the AFL finals. G'day, Jess. G'day, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. I think we left the, the best game to last, didn't we? If you're watching that game yesterday, it sort of looked like it was going to script. I think most people thought Collingwood would win and then all of a sudden... The Bulldogs came from absolutely nowhere and, and could have pinched it in the end. 
Oh, absolutely. That was uh, certainly a great way to cap off what was a really exciting week, one of the final series. And, and you're right, Bulldogs almost got it done in the end. It would have been one uh, one incredible fight back. But uh, credit to Collingwood for holding on and, and they'll advance. And, and that's um, how finals works. I guess the story of the game, in a way, was the performance of Eliza James, the first player in AFLW to kick four goals in a final. And uh, all the more impressive, she's still just a teenager. Oh, it's absolutely incredible. And I um, I was fortunate enough to call um, Eliza when she kicked the match winner against St Kilda earlier in the year at Moorabbin. And it's just, I think what I one of the things I love most of it about the AFLW is we get to see really young players own their moments and, and make their mark on the big stage. And it, it's just absolutely incredible to see her rise. And um, if, that's, if that's what the future of the competition looks like, uh, I can't wait to see how it all unfolds in the years to come. She's a star. How do you analyse Collingwood at the moment, Jess? I mean, they went into the finals off the back of a couple of pretty sizable defeats, one to Brisbane, one to North Melbourne. And then for, I guess for two and a half quarters yesterday, they were, they were fantastic. And then they sort of just limped across the line. So how do you see them shaping up, backing up this week against the Crows? I think they've done incredibly well to get as far as they have without Bree Davey and Britt Benici. They are two of the you know yeah. best players in the competition. But but credit to Collingwood, they've been able to cover that. And I think we've seen some really um, some really good growth in players like Michaela Can in the middle of the ground, who's really stepped up and and uh, and they're finding ways to score as well. So um, you've got to give them credit. And I think you know even though they have, they ended the minor. Um, of the home and away season with a couple of uh, big defeats. They will take so much out of yesterday in terms of mindset and the ability to find a way to win. And we know how important that is in finals. You've just got to grind it out sometimes. So they've got incredible spirit and uh, and no doubt they'll take a lot out of yesterday. So season's done for the Dogs. It's also done for the Cats. A great season from Geelong to come off one win last year, to win seven this year. And let's be honest, they should have won that game. What, 23 more inside 50s. They had a couple of chances late to pinch that game off uh, North Melbourne. And look, as we know, it, it doesn't have to be a high-scoring game of footy to be an intriguing game and an entertaining game of footy. And, and you just couldn't take your eyes off that one in the last quarter. Oh, definitely. And it was such a fantastic crowd down there at Cadenia Park as well. And Geelong, look, they are one of the feel-good stories of the season. And, and, and it, it is a shame to see them lose in such a heartbreaking fashion. Again, um, it, North Melbourne, their experience really showed. But uh from where Geelong have come from um, in the past uh, couple of years to, to where they are now, like I said, it's, it's a fantastic story. And and um, and what's so exciting for Cats fans is they have so many um, young players. Um, you know, obviously what I've just mentioned before about about the future of this competition is in good hands, and and so is Geelong. So um, disappointing to lose in the way that they did, but uh, they're really setting themselves up for a great future, I think. So probably the we speaking to Jess Webster about the AFLW first week of the finals. The qualifying finals probably went as we expected uh, with Melbourne and Brisbane getting through to the prelims. But what does it say about Melbourne, the fact they were three goals down and ended up winning by nearly four? What, what does that say about how far this team's come this season, even though they were very good last year as well? Oh, to me, I walked away from that game thinking Melbourne is scary good. I knew they were good, um, but... But, yeah, to, to, to come back after Adelaide, which are, who is an incredibly great team, Adelaide, um, to, to turn it around from quarter time, to run out the game how they did, uh, was incredibly impressive. And I know people say that Brisbane are the team to beat, but do not keep your eye off Melbourne. Um, they, are, they are a very elite. Um, it was just a, an incredible performance by them. So they're through to the prelim, as uh, Brisbane, as you mentioned, who a lot of people have as the favourites to win. At Richmond, first finals appearance, they certainly weren't disgraced up there and only lost by 17 
points. Look, looking ahead, can you make a case for it not being a Melbourne versus Brisbane grand final? Can can you see the winners of the two games this weekend challenging either of those sides in, in the prelim in a couple of weeks' time? Uh, we'll have to see who makes it. But I think if, if if Adelaide win as expected next weekend, they'll they'll play Brisbane. Um, I think that's a danger game for Brisbane. Um, and I mean, this is the thing about the AFLW is that anything can happen. Um, and I genuinely mean that. So any team on their day is good enough to beat anyone in a competition. So never say never. Um, obviously, again, you know, Brisbane and Melbourne are, are elite. They're, they're injury-free. They're, they're playing with full of confidence. They're going to be incredibly hard to bring down. Um, but I wouldn't put it past some of the other teams for sure. So we look ahead to this weekend, Jess. We've got Richmond versus North Melbourne, 1.40pm at Punt Road on Saturday. Just a, a couple of issues that have arisen around this game. First of all, the fact, we know it's Richmond's home ground, but the fact it's been scheduled at Punt Road. We saw a magnificent crowd yesterday at Victoria Park. We only get a couple of thousand people uh, into Punt Road. Is, is it the right decision to have this semi-final at Punt Road? Certainly a surprise uh, to me when I saw the draw come out. And, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, hmm, will the AFL do what they did in round one and, and move that um, game to Marvel after it was sold out? But um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that if um, they do shift it away from Punt Road. It'll, I think it'll just be a disappointing outcome because the capacity, as we know, is only about 2,000. And if they do reach capacity, which we obviously assume that they would, It'll be one of the lowest attended finals in AFLW history, which I just don't think is a really great outcome. Uh, so I was surprised to see it again. I understand um, the benefits of community venues and, and Richmond, um, you know, have, have hosting rights. Um, but yes, it certainly did raise a few eyebrows. So um, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the best decision, but we don't really know what goes on behind the scenes. So um, yeah, who knows? We'll wait and see if they move it, but uh, it's unlikely that they would. I was going to say that... I mean, we know, as you mentioned, we had that push at the start of the year with the, the Essendon-Hawthorne game, but that sort of, that was scheduled a long way out and then the, the momentum grew and quite rightly it was changed uh, to Marvel's team. You, you, you couldn't see that happening in the space of a week, could you? I don't think so. That's why I think it's unlikely that they'll move it um, as much as I think a lot of people um, want to see it moved. Um, so, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, it certainly surprised me. I think many many others in the competition to have the game there. But um, look, if they pack it out, I'm sure it's going to be a great atmosphere, and uh, we're certainly going to get a great contest no matter what. And well, it was only two weeks ago they played a draw, so out there at Arden Street. So early in the week, who do you who do you like in this game? Oh, I think I think North. Um, I watched Richmond. I was I was in Queensland. I still am actually um, watching <laughs> Richmond play Brisbane. Um, and I think that they really got exposed a bit and they couldn't they couldn't quite find a plan B. Um, and that's what concerns me about Richmond. Their plan A has worked very well for them. Um, obviously, um, up until yesterday, the day before, they were unbeaten um, for about eight weeks. Um, and then against North Melbourne a couple of weeks ago when they drew, they didn't have Emma Carney. Uh, Kim Rennie was a late out as well. Um, and North probably should have won that game uh, in the end. So... It, it's going to be a very big challenge, I think, for Richmond. I'm going to lean towards North Melbourne. They also have a lot of good experience as well that really showed um, in that game against Geelong. So, but, you know, Richmond, they certainly have um, a lot of confidence, certainly have a lot of talent. Um, Monconti and Ellie McKenzie were well held. So if they can get off the chain um, and play at their explosive best, uh, Richmond certainly are a chance. So the scheduling's been interesting, as we mentioned. We're speaking to Jess Webster about uh, week one of the AFLW finals and looking ahead to semi-final weekend. So the fact the games at Punt Road has raised uh, some eyebrows. And then the fact is, so 140 Richmond versus North Melbourne. 
And then that leads into 340 Adelaide uh, versus Collingwood. That's okay. That's, uh, you know, back-to-back games. No crossover there. But the problem is, in a lot of people's eyes, is the Matildas are playing Sweden at 245 at Amy Park. So should have the AFLW scheduled these games differently to avoid a clash with that game, given so many people will want to watch both? Yeah, it was, again, um, another part of the um, scheduling that probably raised a few eyebrows and, you know, a lot of the fans of the AFLW are also fans of other sport and other women's sports. So there's WBBL, there's Matildas on, um, and, and and the AFLW. So um, it's not really um, a great outcome for, for general sports fans, that's for sure. So, um, again, having two games on a Saturday um, back-to-back, uh, clashing with other sports is, is probably not ideal. Um, but I think it's also a part of, the growing pains, I think, of this competition. Um, and we're certainly learning a lot, I think, having moved moved the seasons to this time of year because we're starting to see all these issues surrounding it. Um, so certainly something the AFL, um, I have no doubt, will review, will look at. Um, and moving forward, we can hopefully maybe um, make sure that we're giving the AFL the, the best opportunity for it to, to grow and thrive. I guess in a sort of funny way, Jess, can, can we look at it as a positive in a way that we now have that much high quality women's sport, as you mentioned, WBBL, you know, the Matildas are are such a powerful, I hate the word, but brand in this country. Now AFLW is getting stronger and stronger that at times there is going to be clashes and and that's just, that's just what's going to happen because there's a lot going on. Yeah, absolutely. It it certainly is a benefit. Um, and, you know, on, on you know, one side of the coin, I love it that we're having these conversations. I also love to see the passion out there. Um, and people are quite vocal about how, hang on, guys, you know, we, we want to um, consume all these different kinds of sports. Um, and we also want to support the AFLW. You know, I know some people who, who um, bought their tickets to the Matildas game weeks and weeks ago, um, obviously not knowing that there would be a clash. And, and so, yeah, on one hand, you know, you don't want to see people disappointed. It's also great to see the passion um, and, and the support for, for women's sports. So, um, like I said, I just think there's growing pains in general, um, but that we will we will always work it out, I think, uh, moving forward. So we'll be fine. So still in Queensland? What, what, just in a beer garden today or just down the beach? What are, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, day of recovery today. So I'm caught up with some family and friends over the last couple of days. Um, obviously, I'm a Brisbane girl, yeah. so it was great to get back. I've been really enjoying the weather. Melbourne hasn't been too kind, I think, on the weather front in the last few weeks. So um, I'm just enjoying the sunshine um, and a bit of downtime and, and catching up with family. I haven't been back since Christmas last year. So, it's uh, yeah, it's good to be back, watch some footy, and um, happy days. Beautiful. Uh, enjoy, Jessa. Thanks so much uh, for your time and your coverage. Uh, we're all looking forward. It was a great first weekend, and let's hope we get two great games in the semifinals this weekend. You're welcome. Cheers. Great to speak to Jess Webster doing a great job uh, with the AFLW broadcaster. Give us a call. We've got time to open up the lines now for the Werribee Kia Open Line, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Brett Phillips, hopefully not too far away. So, of course, the first serve tonight, he's actually doing an interview with Craig Tiley as we speak. So hopefully he can wrap that up in time and uh, join us at about 2.40 this afternoon. But anything you want to give us a call about, one 736 736 or send us... A temper text on the 40 Winks temper, 0433981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. This is Afternoons on SEN. Thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly.
Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Uh, one here off the Temper Text. Certainly not happy that the final between Richmond and North Melbourne will be at Punt Road on Saturday. Jules, Punt Road is a disgraceful ground for AFLW. Nothing for spectators, says, says Simon in Moorabbin. I think Aaron from Broadmeadows wants to talk about the AFLW finals fixturing as well. G'day, Aaron. Yeah, good afternoon. I just can't believe the decision. They're literally going against everything they've been saying and doing for the last 20 years. For the last 20 years, they've been talking about how important facilities were. They closed down Icon Park because it wasn't good enough for AFL matches. Um, there's no facilities at all for the general public at, at Punt Road. There's, there's minimal seating. There's no cover from the elements. At Icon Park, everyone could sit down undercover. I mean, it, it could be 30 degrees on Saturday, and they expect people to stand in the sun or stand in the rain when, when they could travel you know, 15 minutes down the road and sit in a grandstand with a, a nice seat undercover. And an extra, you know, three, four, five thousand people could attend. It, it doesn't make sense on any level for me. So you've been to a game there, Aaron, at Punt Road? Yeah, the facilities are terrible. They're non-existent. Pretty much everyone has to stand. Um, there's no protection from the elements at all. If it rains, you get wet. If it's hot, you're standing in the sun. Um, at Icon Park, everyone can sit undercover. Um, yeah, it for does. me, it's just a no-brainer. You, you've got. No, keep going, mate. Sorry. You've got to play at the bigger stadium. You've got to play at the bigger stadium, and you've got to play at the stadium with the better facilities, and Punt Road doesn't match either criteria. Well, that's, that's a spot on, Aaron. I was just about to say that. I was going to say on two folds. I mean, look, it's Richmond's home ground. That's great. But we want to maximise attendance right now, don't we, in AFLW? Um, and clearly that game would get more than 2,000 people if it's played at uh, Icon Park and or, or Victoria Park, which is just down the road, literally. And uh, we saw yesterday, it's, it's a really good facility uh, for AFLW matches. So combine the fact that Punt Road is not great and also the fact even if it was a great um, little stadium and spectator facilities for AFLW, it only holds 2,000 people. So, yeah, it does seem like a strange uh, decision from the AFL. Uh, thanks for your call. Uh, Aaron, let's get to uh, Chris in Canberra. Let's talk about a bit of cricket, I think. G'day, Chris. Yes, uh, hello. It's nice to hear from you. Look, look. what I wanted to ask you about is a player that I've been watching very closely in Foxtel last year. Yep. was a, a name which is synonymous with the famous Crouches at Geelong. He's a fast bowler. What's happened to Crouch, who was an absolute um, very promising player with express pace, and it's one of the reasons Victoria is not doing as well. Good question, Chris. Let me have a look in uh, the ad break to see what's happened. I know the young man that you're talking about, and he certainly uh, showed some promise. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a struggle for Victoria with the bowling so far this season uh, in the Sheffield Shield. A bit of rain around as well, but they have struggled uh, to knock teams over, even though because their batting has been uh, really strong. They've put up some big scores. So, good call, Chris. I'll have a look at that uh, during the news and come back uh, with an answer for you. Just another one here off the 40 Winks uh, temper about uh, the T20 team and what, what needs to happen. Uh, Australia played too many guys out of touch and too old. Some of the selectors need to go. Just pick T20 cricketers, guys. Not pretenders. Ben McDermott, Josh Philippe, Alex Carey, just to mention a few. A complete overhaul as suggested there. And I'm going to see how Rod, a good Rod is here because we were talking before about, uh, when we were speaking to Jeff Lemon, about Jared Waitley and Damien Fleming talking about, okay, this has been a really disappointing 
uh, T20 World Cup for Australia. Maybe we need to rethink about what we're going to do uh, with the selections and uh, how we have the team for next time they play. And it was a really interesting discussion about, okay, that probably does need to happen, but is it a priority right now? This is what uh, Jared Waitley and Damien Fleming had to say that about, about that on Waitley this morning. And let's be honest, Jared, you don't win unless three of your top four have, have big tournaments. So who are going to be those top order players that um, can basically just win your, win your T20 World Cups? And then, and then, you know, Tim David, that type of player is definitely, you know, he'd have to be in their plans. You know, can we get another one? Maybe a left-handed Tim David who can go out there with eight balls to go and score 20. But, you know, when, when do you start to look at this? The next game's not until August. Um, we've got a 50-over World Cup. So they've got to make put most of their focus there. So it'll be intriguing to see what our first team is when when the World Cup is in two years' time over there in America and the Caribbean. Yeah, so I think this just totally gets shelved now and and, and should. There's a five-test summer coming, then test series against India in India, the Ashes in England, and a 50-over World Cup. Like that, that's where all of Australia's planning, thoughts, energies should go, which is why I just wonder whether there's a, it's not a side project. It's a, if you are actually going to rebuild this, what happens during the BBL and how do you harness that in the immediate aftermath when there, there is, there's no incentive. In fact, it would be a pure distraction if Australian cricket spent any time on it, given the, the demands that are coming. Yeah, interesting point there from from both guys because, yeah, it's not a priority at the moment. But you'd think there'd be some discussions going on about what we need to do to get our T20 team play more consistently. Yeah, we did win the World Cup uh, last year. But overall, we haven't really set the world on fire when it comes to international uh, T20 cricket. Uh, Brody Crouch, the young man that Chris uh, from Camberwell was talking about, is actually injured uh, at the moment. Therefore, that's why he's not playing uh, for Victoria. So after the news, we're going to have... Lost in the wash. There's plenty going on that we haven't mentioned that happened in sport uh, over the weekend and overnight. Is there anything you want to bring up? one 736 736 You're listening to Afternoons for Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly. Kogan Mobile. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile. And also Master Builders Victoria. Get legal... Get expert legal support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. Want the best industry training? Contact Master Builders Victoria. Oh, mate, you know, obviously winning Sheffield Shields um, with WA and things like that are obviously, for me, as a a guy that loved being in a team, is high up there. But I'm not sure I've had too many highs as, as, as good as yesterday that, yeah, especially knowing that it's my last game, won't be with these lads again. Um, and just to see the passion they played with um, and the skill level, which was, you know, I guess as a coach, you're always going, I hope I'm raising their skills to a level where they can compete against the world's best. And, you know, to, to see what happened yesterday was just a fantastic experience. And it wasn't just a Dutch fans. Obviously, the Pakistan fans were yeah. going nuts. And I think... Um, I think cricket fans in general watched that game and, and were on our side and they were barracking for the underdog and, you know, we got up for them. That was the voice of Ryan Campbell, coach of the Dutch team in the T20 World Cup. This is Lost in the Wash thanks to Identify, but your specialists in asbestos and hazardous material assessments. What a story that is. Uh, Ryan Campbell uh, in itself and uh, 
an amazing, oh, given where he was uh, six or seven months ago with his own health, uh, that is an amazing uh, story in itself, the fact that he's been back coaching and uh, coaching so well and causing one of the great upsets uh, in cricket history. Got a few here on my list lost in the wash. We've got a couple of callers, so I don't want to steal uh, their thunder. So let's go to Ali uh, in St Kilda. He wants to talk a bit of world game. Get Ali. Oh, hey, how you going? I'm good, mate. Um, a few things. Firstly, uh, with the World Cup, um, I'm feeling a little bit hopeful, like a, a little bit of belief because in the past we haven't really had such a number of creative players. And even though the creative players that, um, you know, the press is talking about a lot, you know, Tilio and Kowal and et cetera, um, aren't obviously established players, but still they're, pe- they, they, they're players who can make something happen on the pitch. And I felt like last World Cup, um, and, and previous World Cups as well, we really lacked um, players that could open things up except for Rogic. So now that I feel like we might have a few of them, I feel like we have a bit more hope. That's the first point I wanted to make. Um, and then a couple more not a couple more things. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Kevin De Bruyne thing, but you're pretty into the soccer, so you probably did. I did, um, yeah. I feel like, yeah, I, I don't understand how he doesn't get retribution for things like this. And I don't understand why the media doesn't come after him for, and I'm not just him, it's not about him. It's just about diving. I, I don't understand. I think these sorts of things need to be looked at way more, way more closely. And, and, and not, not, to, not to just assume that contact in the box is a foul. Contact in the box is not a foul. That is not what the rules say. And, and, if, and if, uh, even if contact on the foot, if, 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 if an attacking player decides to fall over, like Mitrovic or like uh, De Bruyne, um, it's just ridiculous. He, he should get a retrospective ban. Players like this should get a retrospective ban and, and it should not have been a foul at all. And the media, I just don't understand why they let it fly. I just, I just don't understand it. And my last point is that on a positive note from the Premier League, um, maybe you already talked about this, but Leeds Bournemouth, what a game. And Cracking Ian game. Crocker, what, what a commentator is Ian Crocker. I mean, he, he's got the Dwayne Russell, you know, throaty richness. I don't know if you've heard the voice that I'm talking about, yeah, but the one. Yep. he, yeah, yeah. And we go, like, he just goes nuts. <laughs> and it's just so exciting. What accent are you trying to pull off there? It's a bit of an international <laughs> I've heard the accent, but it's just that, it's just that every single, every single, after every single word, there's an exclamation mark. And then he has to breathe because there's so much, so much excitement. Um, and it's just, yeah, that was an amazing game. And he's a great commentator. So just a few points I was thinking about. Yeah, love it. It wasn't a penalty to Kevin De Bruyne. He's spot on, Ellie. This is the problem. If they want to stamp out this stuff, diving and simulation, where are the retrospective yellow cards? And not probably not red, but yellow cards. Because, okay, if it's missed at the time, and sometimes it shouldn't be now because you got VAR, so you can check it. But back in the day, sometimes it is missed by referees. You're in the wrong spot and you think there's been contact and there's not. But, of course, if it's proven on uh, replay that you've simulated or dive, of course you should get uh, a retrospective uh, yellow card. And it was, it's a big result. It's a big result. If, if, if that doesn't go their way, suddenly Arsenal are further clear on top after their win uh, over Chelsea. Just before I get to John in Port Augusta, I did see this audio. I think it might have been on Friday. So uh, just to put some context around it, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who always has got a lot to say, he he's talked about uh, Pep Guardiola and Erling Haaland at Man City. And he basically said that... Uh, Pep's own ego wouldn't really be enjoying what Erling's doing, scoring so many goals, and will actually be a challenge for Erling uh, playing at Manchester City. This was Pep Guardiola's very sarcastic response when those comments from Zlatan Ibrahimovic were put to him. 
He's right. He's completely right. In this club, in this team, my ego is beyond that every performance of the place. Even I don't like when Erling scores three goals. You know, the highlight is for him. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Honestly, so jealous. I said after what, please, Erling, no score more goals. Otherwise, I want the Sun Daily Mail talk about me, just about me. He's right. He knows me perfectly. He can read another book perfectly. I detect a hint of sarcasm there. No, I'm right. I'm right what I'm saying. My ego is... Yeah, yeah. Like that response. Don't get angry. Just be very sarcastic about it. Oh, congratulations to Kevin Musket uh, following in the footsteps of Ange Postacoglu winning... The title with Yokohama F. Marinos uh, over the weekend. And also a great weekend for Ange Postacoglu because his nearest uh, rivals, Celtic Rangers, lost 2-1 last night to St. Johnston. I watched the first half. Battered they were. St. Johnston didn't look like scoring. In the end, uh, they won 2-1. So a uh, great result there for Ange. Uh, let's get to John in Port Augusta. He wants to talk a bit of a cricket. G'day, John. Yeah, hi, Julian. Hey, uh, just some thoughts on um, on the cricket and all the rest of it. I've... Um... I've struggled to warm to the Australian cricket team for a little while. Like, I love the game. And I still watch it and all the rest of it. I I, I actually, I love my footy, but I actually, cricket, test cricket is my first sporting love. And um, I, I struggled with the, to support fully the Australian cricket team for the moment Steve Wall got the captaincy. And the reason I say that is, and I'm willing to get bashed, because I thought he's the most selfish individual I've ever seen, and I know for a fact he was, because I, pers- I followed the game devoutly. And I know personally what he did was personally on 93 Calcutta Second Test 2001. He did not take everyone that's available. That's a myth. He, um, I'm not alone. I mean, the late, great Shane Warren wrote a book bagging him. Ian Chappell's written a book and dedicated a chapter slamming him. And we know Ian Chappell's thoughts on him. Anybody who follows the game knows that. Yep. Um, Michael Slater was the same. Michael Slater was the same. Jeff Lawson, was a, a New South Wales and Australian teammate, was the same. The late David Hooks was the same. The great South African opening batsman, Barry Richards, was the same. I love the Australian cricket team under Mark Taylor. It was diplomatic. It, Steve Orr used to preach mental disintegration, for goodness sake, and turned it almost into a body contact sport. Um, I had no time for the bloke. Yes, good player. Very good player, but average captain with a great side. I know I'm right, and I'll get bashed, but I've spoken on South Australian Radio for 25 years conservatively slamming him for being the most selfish cricketer next to George Jeff Boycott that I've ever seen. That's pretty passionate there, uh, John. Look, he certainly wasn't uh, everyone's uh, cup of tea. I'm not sure you can say he's an average captain. I mean, they won 16 tests in a row. So uh, I know he had a good team, but it still takes uh, a little bit uh, to get uh, that done. Let's get a break. Hopefully Brett Phillips on the other side. Otherwise, we'll go through a bit more lost in the wash. Still some time uh, to take your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Just on that, if you've seen the video with uh, Novak Djokovic's team, Seeming to mix some sort of drink and uh, trying to do it sneakily. Uh, let us know your thoughts as well. This is uh, Afternoons on SEN. All thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for Lovers and makes a great beer drink responsibly. Kogan Mobile, make the call, switch to Kogan Mobile. And of course, Master Builders Victoria want the best in- industry training. Contact Master Builders Victoria. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. 
Bricklane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Just uh, touching off on a couple of other points we made earlier. Uh, Brody Couch, the cricketer that Chris from Campbell was wondering what's happening with him, just came back from injury uh, in the Victorian second 11 a couple of weeks ago. So uh, hopefully everything goes well. He might be back in that Victorian Shield side uh, sooner rather than later. Just a bit more around Ryan Campbell as well. It's an amazing story. A uh, heart attack he had uh, back in May. Uh, says he died at least six times. The 50-year-old spent a week in a coma when he suffered a heart attack in April. And then, of course, comes back. He's coaching the Netherlands, and they beat South Africa yesterday. So just an amazing uh, story, that one. Unfortunately, Brett Phillips is fair enough. He's given us the lemon for uh, Craig Tiley. That's fair enough. Who's uh, his special guest tonight uh, on the first serve. Plenty happening uh, in the world of tennis. Of course, we're almost on the countdown now uh, to the Australian Open just a, a couple of uh, months away. We saw last night uh, the Danish young gun Holger Rune defeat Novak Djokovic to win the Paris Masters uh, in the final in three sets. But all the talk about was what happened in the semi-final uh, with Novak Djokovic. Uh, his team in the in the crowd looked like they were sort of mixing some sort of drink. And then it was being filmed by a spectator. A bit hard to explain on radio, but if you jump on Twitter and have a look at the video, he was being filmed by a spectator. And then one of his entourage noticed that he was being filmed and one of the other of the entourage sort of jumped in front of the, the man that was mixing the concoction. So very, looked a bit dodgy. Uh, not asked about it uh, after that match. So we haven't actually heard Novak Djokovic's uh, response to that. So I'm sure in time he will be asked about that one. Also on the show tonight, as we said, uh, Craig Tyler will be chatting about that. Uh, also, uh, Chris O'Connell is uh, one another challenger in Japan, having a great year, up to 84 in the world. Australia's Billie Jean King Cup squad also in Glasgow uh, for the finals uh, this week. So 8 p.m. tonight coming up, the first serve uh, with Brett Phillips. Uh, Alex Demon, who had a great win uh, last week in that Paris Masters over Daniel uh, Medvedev. So a great win uh, there for Alex, who has struggled against some of the, the best uh, in the world as we really build up now uh, towards the Australian. Um, just a couple of other... Uh, items in Lost in the Wash we didn't get to be, uh, catch up. Uh, the Hong Kong Sevens. Australia hasn't won that for 34 years, which is surprising. But uh, they got up overnight, defeating Fiji in a thriller 20-17. to 17. Also, the MotoGP season came to an end last night. Uh, a great story, this one. Francesco Bagnaia won the title. So he was 91 points behind uh, in the mid-season. Uh, his rider, uh, rival, Fabio Quattro. Uh, so he won the four races leading into the season finale last night in Valencia. So all he had to do was finish in the top five. A quattro had to win the race to have any chance. That didn't happen. He finished fourth. Uh, Bagnaia finished ninth and uh, won the title. So he's the first Italian uh, to win a MotoGP title since his mentor, uh, Valentino Rossi. He's the first Ducati rider to win a title since our own Casey Stoner in 2007. And it was also Jack Miller's final race on the Ducati. Unfortunately, after qualifying really well, he crashed out uh, of the race. So uh, a pretty thrilling conclusion there to the MotoGP season. Now, I've still got a bit of time uh, to take your calls. one 736 736 Anything in the world of sport uh, you want to talk about? Of course, we started the show, and we're going to do this at the start of the show all week. We're trying to count down the top 22 moments in AFL since 2000. So if, if you didn't hear it earlier, it's not games. It's not big stories. It's not Richmond breaking a premiership drought or the Bulldogs breaking a premiership doubt. It is specific moments in games or even off field. And we have a few suggestions uh, off field throughout the day of the big moments. We'll compile them all and we'll do the list 
uh, on Thursday. So uh, keep them coming throughout a heap on the temper text and a heap of calls uh, on the Werribee Kia open line uh, earlier. So keep them coming through tomorrow as we kick off the show. Just a couple more off the uh, temper text here. We talked about the scheduling of the AFLW finals. Um, one here, part of the Icon Park's rebuild was to be home of the AFLW. Surely all AFLW finals in Melbourne should be played there. Well, not necessarily. I think if you've got, you know, Victoria Parks is a really good venue uh, for AFLW. So I think it was quite rightly yesterday uh, that Collingwood hosted that game. Whit Noble's the same. If, not right now. If you drive past the Whit Noble, it's, uh, it's all dirt because they're resurfacing the ground and doing uh, some, some work there. But that's a great venue for AFLW. So I don't think they all have to be at Icon Park, but I think they certainly uh, shouldn't be. I, I think I agree with most that Punt Road's probably not uh, a suitable uh venue for that one uh, this weekend. Um, a few people have seen the Novak Djokovic uh, video here. Uh, so this one suggests that uh, Djokovic has been seen suspiciously inhaling some sort of substance out of a bottle at change events at least twice before. Once here at the Australian Open. Not bad here from Ron. Not sure what was in Djokovic's drink. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a COVID vaccine. Yeah, not bad there. Uh, from Ronnie in Croydon. That might get a few temper texts uh, lighting up. Uh, just a reminder to Gazy and Andy Marr, not too far away. They're going to talk to Ryan Harris. They're going to talk to Dean Vickerman. That was a bit of a surprising result yesterday. Uh, in, in, it's hard to pick winners in the NBL at the moment. The form, apart from the Sydney Kings, uh, is... Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Been a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. Now, plenty still going on at Hawthorne, isn't there? Hawthorne Premiership Captain Don Scott has hit out at suggestions. President-elect Peter Nankerville was parachuted into the position in an unfair process as the club's power struggle continued on Monday. This is a story from Johnny Ralph uh, in the Herald Sun. Scott and fellow Presidential Nominations Committee member Jeff Harris wrote in a statement that any suggestion Nankerville was unfairly chosen by the committee was flawed, failed and grossly inaccurate. Presidential candidate Andy Gowes was part of the nominations committee, but told the Herald Sun last month the decision to elevate Hawke's Vice President Nankerville instead of proposing a suitable candidate sat poorly with him. Hawke's Premiership player Gowes had initially considered running for the Hawthorne board at the end of 2021, but as part of a truce was put forward for the nominations committee, only to find Kennett's confident and Vice President Nankerville was chosen as his successor. Nankerville told the Herald Sun on Monday he was comfortable with his role in the process, only considering the role as president once the nominations committee was unable to find a suitable target. The AGM, of course, at Hawthorne is on December 13, when Nankerville and Gowes will duel for the club's presidency. So it's a bit un-Hawthorne-like, everything that's going on uh, out there at the moment. So that's going to be an interesting build-up to that AGM on December 13. Andy Ma, Andrew Gaze. Warming up out the back. He's black and blue today, Andrew Gaze. He was mobbed, my spies are telling me. Mobbed down at uh, John Kane Arena yesterday. He was in the building, packed house. Everyone wanted a piece of Gazy. Had his bag of shoes there. He was trying to sell his Gazies to the crowd. They already paid good money to get into the game. <laughs> yes, no, they're a bit more than that, Rod. <laughs> a little bit more than Rad. Uh, at about 32 bucks on the top of 7.99, and then you'll get uh, your gaze. His big show coming up uh, with the boys. Ryan Harris is going to join them. D- uh, Dean Vickerman as well to review that great performance by Melbourne United. I'd love to what Gazy thinks about the NBL at the moment. It, it is so unpredictable, hard to pick a winner. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Big day in Australian sport tomorrow because the Socceroos squad. 
before the Qatar World Cup will be named. We'll be all over that one. We'll look at some of the great moments too in the AFL. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.